0: It was a real newsy week on Beacon Hill, and as always, we join you here on the State House Takeout with twenty-something minutes uh, encapsulating some of these top stories from Beacon Hill this week. And. We wish we had more hours in the day, more minutes that we could talk with you about these things, but we'll, we'll tell you what we can. Just last night, Massport got a new CEO, and Senator Mike Brady's case was referred to the Senate Ethics Committee, and we had so many other headlines throughout the week. Um, although, since Tuesday night, uh, the governor, Charlie Baker, was uh, not around in Massachusetts for, for most of these happenings. But joining us to talk about it is Chris Lesinski, Colin Young, and Matt Murphy of the State House News Service. Hi, guys.
2: Hey, Sam. Howdy. Hello.
0: Hey, and uh, Matt, just starting off with you, uh, in 30 to 60 seconds, since it is our weekly topic now, what's the news on the MBTA this week?
2: In 30 to 60 seconds, the governor shortly before taking off for London where he was giving a uh, speech at a major UK offshore wind conference. Uh, Travelled to Medford, stood at the uh, Wellington Station garage in front of one of the brand new Orange Line trains and laid out uh, his plan to accelerate uh, spending and investments in the MBTA system. And this included a bill he filed this week seeking 50 million dollars uh, to help the T. Uh, do this work that he says will require additional night and weekend closures. He's also going to be seeking some uh, contract procurement changes to state laws uh, that will allow the T to do uh, more work uh, faster, he says. And he's hoping that this will uh, at least demonstrate to riders and give riders a feel that progress is being made uh, to improve the reliability of the service. I don't know if that was 60 seconds or not, but... Uh,
0: actually, you did pretty well. You're on time, unlike the T. Great. So, <laughs> uh, And the other interesting thing that we heard from the governor uh, just before he took off, as you said, for London, was that he had actually paid a visit to that derailment site down at JFK UMass Station. Um, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, well, he had talked about uh, how he and his administration had a reticence about asking customers to in- too much disruption while they're trying to do this work to uh, repair the tracks and the signal systems and everything else. And I asked him what got him over that hump. And he said that uh, one night last week, he thinks it was Thursday night after his last event, probably around nine o'clock in the evening, he had his troopers uh, bring him over to the JFK UMass station, and he climbed down off the platform and he went over to look at those signal bungalows, as we call them. I think the governor said he likes to call them walk-in closets, but uh, regardless (laughs) of uh, the furniture metaphor, he looked at these signals, he saw up close how old they are, how close to the tracks they are, and he kind of got an appreciation, he said, for what it would take to both continue to run a service along these tracks and uh, fix all of this antiquated technology. So uh, he turned to his team and he asked them to come up with a plan to buy the contractors that do this work more track time, which is where we get to uh, more night and weekend delays, potentially workday delays, uh, and the the necessary money to hire more contractors and engineers and shuttle bus drivers Uh, to uh, kind of speed up this work so that the uh, short-term disruption will lead to better long-term prognosis for the MBTA. Hmm.
0: So he went down after dark to take a sort of private peek at this site. Uh, Is that that abating any of the calls uh, for him to get a Charlie card and take the tea and and um, those choruses that we've been hearing? Yeah,
2: Governor, ride the tea. I'm not sure that it is. I think it might actually just serve to reinforce those Mm -hmm. for people who say, see, you went." Went down there you saw what it looked like and you came up with a plan uh, I think it may only uh, Caused people to want to see him ride the team more.
0: Interesting. So, uh, the governor's absence from the state raised uh, an interesting question heading into Wednesday and a weekly assembly of the governor's council, uh, the panel, the elected panel that uh, vets and uh, votes to confirm judicial appointments and, in this case, a nominee to the parole board. Um, and the governor would be needed uh, in the room in order to help break a tied vote. And we didn't know, Matt, whether there might be a tied vote coming up this week. Uh, We ended up avoiding that in the case of Karen McCarthy to the parole board.
2: Yeah, last week, uh, the governor's nominee, Karen McCarthy, she's the chief uh, prosecutor in the Springfield District Court, nominated to the parole board. She had uh, quite a contentious hearing in front of the governor's council last week. It appeared that there were probably uh, what people thought were likely four votes uh, against her, which would uh, set up a tie. So this... uh, The nominee was already looking to be in jeopardy. And then we found out on Monday night that the governor was going to be in London, which added a new wrinkle to this whole process because there would be no opportunity for Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito to break the tie if the governor wasn't here to take the gavel and preside over the meeting.
0: But they went forward with scheduling the vote, which they didn't have to do.
2: They didn't have to, though there was the situation where this nominee, uh, if there was no vote within 30 days of her nomination, which would have been, uh, I think, today, actually, or maybe tomorrow, uh, the governor could swear her in without the consent of the governor's council. So there was that hanging out there as well. But it all turned out not to be uh, kind of a moot point, because somewhere along the way, uh, the governor wrangled a few votes, and he actually ended up winning this confirmation five to three, in Part because he re nominated a parole board member, Charlene Bonner, who's been waiting over a year to find out her fate and whether or not she would uh, be allowed to stay on the parole board. But she is a forensic psychologist, uh, someone that satisfies the governor's council, or at least a, a good number of the members of the governor's council. C- Council's desire to see more social science people on the parole board and not just law enforcement, prosecutors, correction officers. Uh, and she was renominated. And, and one counselor, Terry Kennedy, who said he was on the fence, said he was kind of pushed over uh, the line to vote for uh, McCarthy and vote to confirm her because Bonner had been renominated.
0: Right, because the makeup of the board is really what's at issue for a lot of these elected counselors. Uh, and we heard at that. Uh, contentious hearing you mentioned last week where tears were flowing and so forth, um, that it wasn't anything about her qualifications or her as a nominee. It was her background in law enforcement as opposed to social sciences.
2: Yeah, interestingly, there were a lot of people who testified against her. And right, like, as you said, not because of her experience or her qualifications, but because there were basically too many of her already on the parole board. But uh, interestingly, this week, after she kind of took offense to that whole process, accused them uh, of treating her differently than they would a white male, everything got a bit nasty. Uh, Bob Jubinville, one of the counselors this week, said that her response to that criticism only reinforced his desire to vote against her because he didn't think that she displayed the temperament when faced with some of that criticism right. he necessary said she for a parole board nominee.
0: He said she had distemper.
2: He did. He said she had distemper. Uh, So I'll leave it at that But uh, ultimately confirmed On a 5-3 vote uh, Counselor uh, Eileen Duff uh, Another person who was highly critical Of the makeup of the parole board
0: She was a real surprise swing vote uh, I thought
2: Yeah, she was. A a lot of the people in the room who had come thinking that they had at least the four votes to defeat McCarthy's nomination were quite taken aback when Duff voted yes, especially after she didn't give much of an explanation. And when we talked to her after, she said she was uh, playing the long game on the parole board.
0: Right, because there's another member of the parole board whose term expired earlier this month. And so when we think about the long game here, uh, what game might she be playing?
2: Yeah, we're not entirely sure what she was talking about, but she talked about playing the long game. You also heard Terry Kennedy, who... Uh, voted yes. Uh, The other swing vote on that council for this vote, talk about how he had discussions with the administration. He was confident that they understood uh, what the council was looking for uh, in moving the parole board in a new direction. Uh, So the only thing that comes to mind immediately is the fact that member uh, Tina Hurley is uh, serving on an expired term and the governor could replace her at any time. And her background is in parole. She was a parole board hearing examiner and parole officer. So uh, there could be more changes coming.
0: Interesting to see who he might nominate. All right. Thanks, Matt. And uh, Chris, returning to our South Shore saga down in uh, Weymouth with that gas compressor station site, is it over yet? Well, if you listen to
3: opponents of the compressor station, it's not over. But we did get a a very significant step in the process yesterday afternoon. uh, Jane Rothschild, the hearing officer who oversees all appeal cases for the DEP, came out with her recommendation that the air quality permit issued to Enbridge for the compressor station should be upheld, should stand in place with a couple of minor modifications related to um, how it handles some of the facility's operations. But nothing that majorly uh, changes the significance. Significance of this. This is a huge blow to opponents who were hoping that this appeal process would be the way that they stopped this facility that they've opposed for
0: years since it was proposed. Rothschild recommended some minor modifications uh, to the permit. Uh, what were those? It it deals with um, basically
3: what the DEP has to what kind of notification the the facility has to give surrounding communities about blowdown operations, which is a spe- specific function of this plant that might create uh, higher levels of emissions than normal typical operations. Um, basically, you know, requiring additional notification for things like that and updating of some language in there. It doesn't deal with the permit itself, but the other big thing that came out of uh, her recommendation was basically. Uh, hinting that the DEP should actually change its practices going forward. The real hinge in this case was the background air quality, basically what the conditions are already like at this site. Yeah, the pre-existing the pre-existing, pre-existing conditions. conditions. You know, DEP air samples show that uh, there are elevated levels of some toxins already in this area. It's considered an environmental justice community, but the way that the DEP does air quality permits, it only looks at the facility's operations, not at what the conditions are already like there. Um, So on those grounds, she said she didn't have any justification to reject the permit because what the facility would do itself would not uh, exceed state regulations. But moving forward, she said the DEP should reconsider its policies and start considering those background pre-existing levels because that would be a better way to prevent pollution and work with the community in the future.
0: And also looking ahead, uh, some state lawmakers have a Sort of response to this, right? The majority leader, uh, Ron Mariano from Quincy, uh, is pushing to move a bill imminently.
3: Yeah, I met, uh, met with some folks from this group this week. Before we had this decision, it's worth noting, they were uh, they were having this conversation, making this effort. Uh, Majority Leader Mariano told them that he's going to try to get a bill reported out of committee in the next two to three weeks that would basically require uh, a separate air monitoring station be built within a mile of this facility or any other compressor station. One of the problems that opponents of this facility have long-sighted is that the nearest uh, dedicated station, to track air quality and track if the emissions are actually harmful is something like 11 miles away over in Milton not that close to the facility itself so the only data comes from occasional sampling whenever regulators head out there Uh, Mariano and uh, a lot of other lawmakers who were there some that I spoke to said that it's not just the compressor itself if you look at this area near the four river right at the line between uh Weymouth and Quincy um that for years and years and years, there's been a power plant there, there's been a pelleting plant there, there's been all sorts of industrial operations that have, over a period of decades, released all sorts of pollution into the environment. I think.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. There's a great line in your story here about soot from the coal fired Boston Edison plant floating through his home's windows. Yep.
3: Uh, Mariana recalled seeing that for decades, not just in recent months, for decades. Uh, and that really underlined a lot of the frustration from these opponents because they see this compressor station as just the latest step in regulators not paying enough attention to to the needs of their communities. And that includes Mariano, who said that he disapproves of the way that uh, Baker's DEP has handled this, but sees problems going back administration after administration into the past.
0: So what's next for the opponents of the gas compressor station? The the BU professor, who we've talked about on this podcast before, uh, Nathan Phillips, uh, said that they're about to be in the bullseye of a toxic mess. Uh, So do, do they have any further? their appeal or they they go in a court or what do they have planned?
3: The, the exact mechanics aren't clear yet, but I've heard some rumblings and some hints that they do want to take this into a formal legal appeal to the court once the DEP process is over. You know, this author from Rothschild isn't the exact final step in the process. The commissioner, Martin Suberg, does have to issue a final decision probably by July 12th, but it's hard to imagine him uh, invalidating the permit after his own uh, case overseer recommended that the permit stand. So that will probably happen in the next two weeks and uh, after that we'll have to wait and see there are several other permits that are under appeal so we're not quite at the point where the facility is about to begin construction and imminent operations but this is a a significant roadblock cleared
0: for the the company interesting thanks chris and uh colin colin a young sam doran (laughs) samuel l doran yes sir We had a couple of interesting stories this week from the uh, cannabis regulation world, uh, both of which you covered for the news service. Um, Let's talk about hemp. Uh, There was an outcry this week from growers of hemp, uh, which is processed into CBD, which is short for...
1: Oh, I had it. I just had it a second ago. Uh, (laughs) CBD. CBD, which which is short for cannabidiol. Cannabidiol. Yeah, cannabidiol. I had it right there.
0: All right, which is the non-psychoactive... Exactly.
1: So CBD exists in the cannabis plant, and it exists in hemp. Um, You can't get high from it. Exactly. It's different from THC, which is the psychoactive component found in cannabis. Uh, The THC is what uh, gets you high. CBD does not get you high, but uh, people who use it and who... um, Advocate for it, say that it it it's, can essentially be a cure all for any number uh, any number of ailments from uh, anxiety, uh, insomnia, uh, and on down the line. So
0: folks put it in foods and salads and smoothies and so forth. And uh, this week or this month, rather, the uh, Massachusetts Department of Agriculture. What, all but banned the sale of uh, food products that include CBD?
1: Yeah, exactly. The Department of Agricultural Resources uh, issued guidance earlier this month that said any food products containing CBD, any product containing CBD that makes any sort of medicinal or therapeutic claim, um, and any product with hemp added as a dietary supplement, and any animal food with hemp products uh, are banned From sale and manufacture in Massachusetts. And this threw hemp farmers for a real loop because uh, they've only recently been able to grow hemp and. Uh, Many of these farmers say that they've been counting on being able to process their hemp into uh, CBD products uh, to be profitable enough in order to grow their farms and expand their farms and and be successful as farmers. Uh, So they were out in front of the statehouse on Monday afternoon to call on the Department of Agricultural Resources to clarify the guidance. Uh, And uh, among those out there was Jim Borghazzani, who was the spokesman for the Yes on 4 ballot question a few years ago that uh, legalized marijuana. Right. Uh, And Borghazzani pointed out uh, what he called an absurd dichotomy, where you can legally go into a store in Massachusetts and purchase uh, edible products that contain THC, that psychoactive part of uh, cannabis, uh, but yet... The Department of Agricultural Resources is saying you can't go in and buy an edible product that contains CBD, the non-psychoactive part.
0: So what was the impetus for this uh, guidance from the Department of Agricultural Resources? Well, it comes after the
1: U.S. Uh, food and Drug Administration uh, issued an opinion that said that CBD cannot be added to food or dietary supplements, uh, and Massachusetts' Department of Public Health has also put out its own guidance uh, prohibiting the sale of any product containing CBD oils uh, derived from hemp. (laughs) So right now it all exists in a a pretty gray area. The, The state doesn't directly regulate products with cbd it's up to local departments of health local law enforcement Uh, i talked to walpole police chief john carmichael this week uh, and he said essentially look you know there's no law that says these products are explicitly illegal um and he basically said you know we're not going to be going into convenience stores to police what's on their shelves in the absence of a law directing us to do exactly that uh so it's a real gray area right now and All these CBD products remain available at gas stations, convenience stores, and online. And that's one thing that's also bugging uh, local hemp farmers. They're saying, you know, look, we're the only ones who are going to be hurt by this. If we can't sell our products, you know, you're not going to be able to stop these Internet sellers from selling it. So people will still be able to get it, but just not from the local farmers.
0: Turning over to the uh, Cannabis Control Commission, Uh, if you don't follow marijuana regulation religiously,
2: who doesn't follow marijuana regulations religiously?
0: No one, follows, no one follows it more religiously than Colin A. Young. <laughs> but if you don't follow it so closely, you might have thought it was all settled,
1: right? Well, if you do follow it religiously, then this was like a, a high holy week for you. Well,
0: sure. I mean, but we had the uh, ballot law. The legislature rewrote the ballot law. Um, we got some regulation. Uh, first legal recreational pot shops opened. Um, what were all these new regulations this week? Well,
1: this is, is now... You There's just one step of that process, Sam, that you left out, which was uh, back in December, the Cannabis Commission took over control of the state's medical marijuana program. Mm. Initially, the two were separate. Uh, DPH had handled the medical marijuana program since that launched years ago, and the CCC started the adult use industry. And back in December, they merged the two. So the CCC now oversees all of it. So uh, regulators went through the process of um, revising, tweaking, and rewriting the regs for both the adult use and the medical market, kind of bring everything under one roof. Mm. Uh How about a couple of quick highlights since there's a a lot in the regs, but I should point out we don't actually have a copy of these regulations yet. The Cannabis Control Commission voted uh, late Thursday afternoon to accept the regs, but there are a number of changes that uh, still need to be made to them. Some decisions they made in the last few days, um, some grammatical and sort of administrative changes that they're going to make. So even though the commissioners have voted to approve these regs, uh, the CCC is not providing them to the public yet, uh, saying they're not ready for publication, uh, can expect them early next week.
0: Hmm. Uh, But please, a few highlights, and I want to hear about body cameras.
1: Sure, I'll get to the body cameras for sure. Uh, Social consumption, that's one that's been talked about quite a bit, the idea of allowing people to to use marijuana uh, at certain public establishments, like a smoking lounge or vaping lounge, really. Um, On social consumption, the CCC has decided that up to 12 uh, cities and towns will be allowed to participate in a pilot program for these social consumption sites, and that the licenses for things like these cafes, vaping cafes, if it's indoors, no smoking will be allowed. Um, Those licenses for the first two years will only be available for micro-businesses. Um, and uh, people who qualify for the CCC's economic empowerment and social equity programs but certainly clearing the way for for the, that type of establishment in Massachusetts in the relatively near future interesting uh, on delivery uh, that's another topic that the CCC has put off home delivery of marijuana it exists in some forms and fashions now for the medical, um, Uh, side of things Uh, will be coming online for the recreational side, Uh, again, a period of exclusivity for economic empowerment and social equity participants. First two years, uh, you'll have to fit into one of those categories to get that license. Recreational delivery will only be allowed in towns where recreational retail is permitted. And there are a number of restrictions on where you can and cannot have marijuana delivered if you're a recreational customer. Huh. So, for instance, if you're a recreational customer, you will not be able to get marijuana delivered to your uh, hotel room. If you're coming in from from some other state and staying in, in a hotel. You're in town for a conference. Exactly. Hmm. Um, medical patients, however, will be able to get uh, their medicine delivered to a hotel room or a motel room, just not to dorm rooms, university housing, or federally subsidized housing. And the body cam uh, piece that you mentioned, the CCC is going to require that the de- the drivers, the d- delivery uh, uh, drivers for recreational marijuana delivery, wear body cameras at all times and record every transaction. Uh, so pretty soon if you uh, if you go that route and have marijuana delivered to your house, the CCC will have a, a nice video of you there picking it up.
0: Huh. And this is for what? The security of the driver? For security of the driver and
1: also um, uh, with the idea of trying to prevent diversion and sale to anyone underage. Colin, can we get it delivered to the State House? Just asking.
0: We get drizzly, right? I think we could.
1: You know, that might be a good story. What happens if you, if you have marijuana delivered to the State House? Uh, as soon as these... Just a thought. As soon as these licenses come online, that would be an interesting Statehouse takeout. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, the uh, the full regs, you'll be able to go through them line by line. That should be out early next week from the commission. Uh, the plan is to open a public comment period through August 16th and hold a number of public hearings across the state to get input on these uh, regulations, which I should point out are being published in draft form now. The CCC will vote... Uh, probably around September, uh, to finalize these and promulgate the regs through the Secretary of State's office.
0: All right. Thanks, Colin. And as we look ahead to next week or the weeks to come, uh, Budget Watch, uh, somebody, anybody, what's up? What's up with the fiscal 2020 budget?
1: Well, acting Governor Polito gave the Budget Conference Committee a little bit of breathing room uh, Thursday evening when she signed the interim uh, $5 billion budget, which is uh, supposed to be sufficient to keep running state government through July. So there won't be a government shutdown starting Monday.
0: Well, that's good.
2: Yeah, it's, it's late. That's what's up with the budget, Sam.
1: It's How late the for the
0: ninth,
2: ninth straight year. Oh. Uh, and what we hear, at least the people I've talked to, uh, actually members of the conference committee, people in leadership say the talks are going well. Uh, they use words like, progress and cordial, uh, but they are late. And so we will start the fiscal year on Monday without a budget in place. I do think there is a slight possibility, uh, maybe greater than slight, that we see some sort of deal over the weekend. Uh, which would uh, set them up to potentially vote Monday or Tuesday. But the next deadline after July 1st, of course, is July 4th, which is Thursday. And nobody wants to be working on the July 4th holiday. I think they all want to go into that long, long weekend with a budget done. So I'd look for it Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. Interesting.
0: All right. And uh, looking forward to this weekend, uh, our Supreme Executive Magistrate is in London for the Red Sox-Yankees game, right? He is. Go Sox. Go Sox.
1: Yeah, hey, I also hear um, this weekend is the the end of a tradition in Massachusetts. Is, am I right? It's, I think Sunday is the last horse race? Yep, horse, the,
2: horse racing is dead in Massachusetts. The
0: horse race no more. No Sunday. more the horse race. No, more, no horse more, race. more horse racing. I'll actually be up there, I think, tomorrow for the penultimate horse race. Post time is 12.55, right?
1: The 12.55, the penultimate pennies on the ponies.
0: Indeed. And uh, we should also mention that next week in observance of our patriotic Fourth of July holiday. Uh, there will be a hiatus from the Statehouse Takeout, but we will join you again the following week. Thanks very much, guys. Have a good weekend. Thanks to Caitlin and our producer.
1: Thanks, Caitlin. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.